we have a, a true account here of some individuals who, who had gathered together and uh, Peter stood up and he begins to preach to this crowd of people. You know, over the years, uh, I've worked at, at a few different churches and I've been members um, at, at a few different churches, a member at a few different churches, and uh, I've had the opportunity to work with, with children for most of the time that I, I've, I've ministered at churches. And from time to time, I would get the tremendous privilege of ministering in the nursery. How many of you have had the tremendous privilege of, yes, ministering in the nursery, right? So as you're ministering in the nursery and you, and you do it a few times, uh, inevitably what happens is uh, one week you get a visitor that comes in. And they are uh, comfortable with leaving their child in the nursery with you. Now all of the nursery workers here know that you're, you're on heightened alert right now. Because you have a child that is not in a normal situation. Okay, Especially around that like one to three years old, like, category there, right? Um, they kind of get this look in their eye when they come in, and they're looking around, and already their, their danger sense is up. And what they'll do is they will try to cling to an individual. Who do they usually try to cling to? Mom, right? Mom. So what we do is, as, as nursery workers sometimes, as children's church workers, what we do is we try to do everything we can to distract this child, okay? Um, we try to start playing, playing with them. You know, we'll get toys and we'll be like, hey, this is fun. This is a great place to be. All the while, at least for me in particular, this child is looking at me and saying, who is this tall, skinny, ugly man? And why is my mother leaving me with him? Okay, uh, and you know they'll they'll look back over their shoulder and they keep checking, and they keep checking and they keep checking, and finally, mom has the opportunity to sneak away, and you feel like you've won because you've distracted this child enough, but at some point they realize that they have been tricked, right? They realize that they've been duped, and you see it in their eyes, the fear, they're scared. They feel vulnerable. And who do they cry out for first? Mom. I want my mom. The first person they cry out for. You see, uh, I, will, I will attest to this, okay? All of our children's church workers, all of our nursery workers here go through a rigorous background check, okay? We don't just let any uh, willing body uh, work back there. Um, your children um, are, are safe. We have redundancies that are, are set up. Um, we are never alone one-on-one -on -one with any of your children. We do everything that we can um, to try to create a safe environment back there, okay? Um, but your child doesn't know that. All they perceive is that they are in a strange environment with strangers, and they're scared. Many of you woke up this morning, and you didn't have that feeling. You didn't have that vulnerable feeling. You didn't have that feeling that, that something was wrong, that for some reason you were in some sort of danger. In our passage this morning that we just read here, these individuals in the crowd woke up that morning not feeling like they were in any danger. 
No danger whatsoever. It was a normal day. They woke up, they went to work, they did what they needed to do. No danger whatsoever. Just about 50 days before this, though, the event I mentioned earlier, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, happened. And this crowd was in Jerusalem when it happened. Not only were they in Jerusalem when it happened, but Peter twice in this passage tells them something that should start to raise the danger level a bit in their hearts. He tells them twice that they crucified Jesus Christ. And what does Peter say about this man, Jesus Christ? He says that he is a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wondrous signs that God did through him in your midst. Do you think they're starting to sense the danger? They killed God's anointed one, God's only begotten son, the Messiah. God in flesh. They were responsible for his death. This is the message that Peter brings to this crowd of people that woke up that morning not thinking that they were in any danger. Do you think they're in danger? Do you think they have an issue? Well, they do have an issue. A very large issue. But the truth is, honestly... They had an issue way before they crucified Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 12 here. Paul is writing and he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Let's stop right there. Paul tells all of us here, everyone who reads his letter here, he tells us flat out that we all have a problem. That in the beginning, Adam sinned, and that sin came and was passed down to us because we have all sinned. We are children of our father, Adam. Verse 13, for sin indeed was uh, sin was in the world before there was, the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who is to come. See, Paul is, Paul is covering everyone here. If you were born, if you have a father and a mother, you stand guilty of sin. Now, what does sin do? Sin separates us from God. As you sit here this morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ, if you do not know the work that he has done for, uh, done for you, if you have not believed in the name of Jesus Christ, you sit in danger. You see, because all of us in this room are sinners. 
But not all of us have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not all of us have accepted this perfect sacrifice here. Paul ends this this section here and he says, Adam, who was a type of the one to come. See, our big danger here is death. And there is one thing that separates Adam from Jesus. Moses from Jesus. There is one big thing that Peter points out in this passage that separates Jesus from David. And you have to understand, to these Jewish individuals that were standing there, David was way up there. They were longing for a time where they would have a king like David. Peter tells us in the passage that we read in Acts chapter 2 that it was promised to David that he would have a descendant. Paul reiterates that there is one who is coming. And what Peter says uh, what Paul, uh, Peter says to the crowd here is that Jesus Christ is the one who was coming and you crucified him. He uses David as an example here in a very profound way. He uses David's own words in the Psalms that for decades and generations and and, uh, hundreds of years was just confusing to people. David's talking about his Lord and my Lord says to the Lord and, and all of this. And it's just all of these Lords in a row. And you're like, how do we make sense of this? And Peter says, listen, David wasn't talking about himself. Why? Because we can go visit David right now if we want to. We know where David is buried. We know that there is a body in the tomb. He is dead. You want to know, I've heard people say this before um, when I've presented the gospel to them. Well, I'm just not that bad of a person. Or they'll say about a relative who died. Oh, I just can't imagine them ever sinning. You know, they are just, they're perfect, and we, we glorify these individuals who die and are in the ground rotting right now. And that's exactly what these Jews did with David. They're glorifying him, they're exalting him. And Peter says flat out, the fact that you're in the grave rotting is a testimony to the fact that you were a sinner. I'm going to tell you flat out today, you're a sinner. You have disobeyed the word of God. And now you are eternally, right now as you sit, you, are, you will be, if you die today, you will be eternally separated from God. This is the danger that you sit in today. Death comes to us all. Because we all have sinned. The great danger we all face is death. So the question we must ask is who do we cry out to to solve this danger? Just like the little child cries out for mommy, who do we cry out to? Well, in in our passage this morning, it started off with it, right? He actually says it twice, but we'll read verse 21 of Acts chapter 2. And it came to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
just like that little child. See what's happening in the crowd right now is the danger level is, is rising. They're starting to realize that they are in a position that they don't want to be in. That they have sinned and done something wrong. Peter tells this murderous, guilty crowd this horrendous act that they committed of killing Jesus was all done. And this is, this is such a miracle. Everything that happened in the beating, the false accusations, the, the crucifixion, everything that happened to God's anointed one, his Messiah, he tells this crowd, listen, didn't catch God off guard. God foreknew and planned that this would happen. Guys, we serve a God that is more powerful than we can ever imagine. A God that could use seemingly the worst moment in history. The death of his son. The death of the one who would save the world. As a moment of victory. That his son would die. I don't know if any of you have ever had to experience the loss of a child. But it is, it is gut-wrenching. I hear questions from people all the time. How could God, how could a good and righteous God allow these things to happen? God allowed it and planned it to happen to his own son. You see, God the Father, the righteous creator of heaven and earth, of you and I, is one with the perfect, sinless lamb that came to lay down his life. We mentioned earlier that sin equals death. And the very fact that Jesus was risen from the dead is a, is a huge flashing sign to us that there was no sin in him. He is alive today. Now Jesus did die. And we have to ask ourselves, how did he die? How was it possible for this sinless individual when God said, hey listen, sin equals death. If there was no sin in Jesus, how did he die? The truth of the matter is that he took your sin and he took my sin to the cross. And when Jesus died... My sin, your sin, died with him. But here's the great news. Death could not hold him. Peter tells the crowd, the pangs of death could not hold him. When Jesus died, he took sin with him. He took death with him. And because he was sinless, because he is one with the Father, God saw fit to raise him from the dead. And this crowd is sitting there, and their danger levels are through the roof now. Because God reversed the acts that they had done. God reversed the sinful actions they had done. Their aim was to kill Jesus. And he did not stay dead. 
And they're wondering, what shall we do? What can we do? And I'm going to tell you what you can do today. Exactly what Peter says. Call upon the name of the Lord. This is the reason that we're here today. I know we're here to see a baptism, but all of these individuals who are about to be baptized have accepted Jesus. They've accepted this truth. They believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth and died for their sins. That it was a work of God in their life. That they weren't smart enough to figure this out. That they weren't good enough to deserve this sacrifice. That it was a gift from God. Through Jesus' sacrifice, we are reconciled with God. And we have eternal life with him. See, if you die without Jesus, you are eternally separated with him. You get death and more death and more death and more death. Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. The individuals in the crowd are are recognizing this. They're realizing this. They're hearing the words of Peter. And the Holy Spirit is working in their hearts. And this is beautiful. This is why I love stories in Scripture. Because we get to see the people's reaction to this news, this good news, this gospel news. Verse 37, and when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The first thing we see is their response to this. They were cut to their heart. What does this mean? You see, the part of the story I didn't tell you is that Peter is speaking here. And everyone understands him in their own tongues. It would be the equivalent if we had some, uh, I don't know, some crazy language like Portuguese or whatever, some Portuguese-speaking people here, um, some German-speaking people here, some some Spanish-speaking people uh, here. And I was speaking English, and somehow, supernaturally, they were all able to understand. There is only one way that that happens, and that is through the work of the Holy Spirit. And how are they cut to their hearts? It is not by Peter's airtight Uh, you know, logical argument here. It is because the Holy Spirit is empowering Peter's words here to penetrate the hearts of this hardened crowd and their hearts are becoming soft. They ask, they get to the point where they're like, oh my goodness, we really messed up. We've sinned. Brothers, what should we do? And what is the first thing that Peter says? Repent. Repent. Turn from your sin. How do we repent? We tell God that we've messed up. 
We said, God, you have required this of me, and I have not lived up to the standard. God, in and of myself, I am a sinner. There is nothing good about me. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The second thing he tells us to do is to be baptized. See, the first act, repentance is salvation. This act of baptism here, this is a public act, as we mentioned earlier, for these individuals to proclaim that they are followers of Christ. They are fully devoted to Christ. They may have invited you here today. They want you to know that they are followers of Christ. This act up here of going into the water, that doesn't save them. They were already saved. This is a, a symbol, a way for them to publicly show that they have been crucified with Christ and are risen to new life. Baptism is an act of obedience. And 3,000 people that day were baptized. They repented of their sins and they became children of God. But there's even more good news, guys. See, in these verses here, we don't just get a one-time offer. You guys have all been to a, a car dealership, right? You get that car salesman. Oh, this deal is only good for today. Today is it. You know, if you walk out of here, you know, I can't guarantee the car's going to be here. Can't guarantee uh, that the price is going to be the same. That's not what Peter and the Holy Spirit tells these people. He says flat out in verse 39, for this promise is for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. Friend, I, I was where you were, where you are right now. I sat I didn't sit in a chair, I sat in a pew. But I sat right there and I heard this message. And I was cut to the heart. And it wasn't because of the pastor who was speaking, it was because the Holy Spirit was working in me. I heard this news for the first time and I realized that I was in danger. That I was a sinner thinking I could be good enough to reconcile myself with God, which was an absolute lie. Upon hearing the good news, I repented. I cried out to Jesus, just like that little child cries out to mom. I cried out to Jesus, and I repented of my sin. I accepted the free gift of salvation. I once was blind, but now I see. And just like the people in the crowd, some of you sitting here were just like me. We were once enemies with God, but the good news is that we can be called children of God. 
here are a few questions that I would like to leave you with today. Number one, do you know you're in danger? Are you still sitting here saying, that ain't me? That ain't me. That stuff is in a book written thousands of years ago. Do you know you're in danger? Do you know what the word of God says? Number two, who am I without God? Who am I without God? Number three, what has God done to bring me back to himself? We've gone over all these questions today. Do I know that I'm in danger? I think today you do. Who are you without God? You're helpless. You're a sinner. What has God done to bring me back to himself? God sent his only son to die for a wretch like me. I did nothing to deserve it. I'm a terrible person, I will tell you that. When left to my own devices, I am a terrible person. It is only the Holy Spirit working in me. It's only the life change that Jesus Christ gave that compels me to follow him and do good. How do I respond is the last question, and that's my question for you. These individuals who are being baptized, they responded in faith. They placed their faith in Jesus Christ. My encouragement to you this morning as we witness these baptisms here, that today would be the day that you turned your life over to Christ. Brothers and sisters, if your heart is being cut right now, find someone here who knows the answer, who's walking in the light, who is a follower of Christ. That is my encouragement to you today. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it has the power to change our lives. God, we thank you that through your infinite mercy, you sent your son, Lord, to rescue us. God, that we can cry out to you and you are faithful to save us. Worthless, rotten people. God, I thank you, Lord, that all throughout your word you told us you were sending a Savior. And God, that you did not let that Savior rot. You did not abandon Jesus to Hades. Lord, you raised him from the dead. God, and we can experience this newness of life with you. God, we can spend eternity with you. This is the best news ever. God, I pray this morning that you are calling individuals to yourself, whether they're here in this congregation, in this crowd right now, Lord, or they're at home watching. God, my prayer is that they repent, they turn from their sins, and they join us in the body of Christ. Father, again, we thank you for all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.